beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful Magimix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk. Follow Magimix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing Magimix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Ken Hom to the podcast. Ken has been an absolute staple on the culinary scene for six decades. He is one of the most recognised celebrity TV chefs. He has written more books than I can count. He has put his hand to some of the best restaurants around the world, cooked for royalty, politicians and celebrities. And now he's here with me. This must be the most important accolade, I'm sure. I grew up watching Ken on TV with my dad, salivating at the screen and then perused through his books where he really brought the taste of the East into our Western homes. I have a lot to thank him for. Ken, what a joy to have you on. Welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Thank you very much. And I'm honored to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Honestly, I I feel like I grew up in that era um, of TV cookery shows um, that were really at the height of its sort of uh, its journey. And you really were one of the front runners and um, I get my love of food very much from my parents, but my dad is a particularly uh, uh, very healthy eater, shall we say, and his favorite food is Chinese food. And so you were Just always our taste. favorite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so we finally have sorted things out. We had a bit of a technical issue, but we're finally here. I feel like it very much bonded and cemented this friendship. So I'm very excited that uh, we have are finally getting into this. And I always start my my conversations with asking you, uh, what did you have for breakfast today? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm not a big breakfast person. What I want to have is my green tea and... Um, uh then i would either have a biscuit or a croissant if 
Yes, I, I do here in France. And that's it. And I tell you why, Hannah, because one of the problems is that I dream about food. So when I wake up, I feel actually full. I can't face food. By lunchtime, I'm starving. I'm starving. But um, uh, I, I remember when I first came uh, to the UK and they, they had a fry up. I said, you must be joking. I mean, this is dinner. <laughs> No, totally. I mean, I got to be honest with you. It's funny. And I and I said this recently to another chef. Every chef that I interview doesn't eat breakfast. And I don't know if that's because of perhaps the lifestyle that you keep, uh, you know, especially if you're working in restaurants and kitchens, you know, it's such a intense long day and, and crazy hours that perhaps you sort of want to push everything a few hours later on in the day. But um yeah, I still haven't met a chef who eats breakfast. It's interesting. And you mentioned that you're in France. Is this now your primary residence? No, I I, I live between France and Thailand. And uh, um, it's because I, I can't stand the cold. <laughs> so when it's cold, I go back to Thailand. And I'd love to be in countries where the food is good. And in Thailand, as you can imagine, the food is a knockout. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's actually the reason to live there. And just like France, I mean, France has, I live in the middle of a village here. There's a, a market, uh, organic market, just across the street. I mean, literally, it's not even one minute walk. <laughs> and I, I just love it. Uh, I even have a, a wonderful butcher who does really uh Everything organic, um, beautiful pork belly, which I just cooked yesterday for uh, a charity event uh, here in my home. And you know, it's wonderful to be surrounded by food. And in Thailand, I live in the middle uh, uh, of central Bangkok. And oh, wow. the food, everything. I, I go swimming in the pool on the sixth floor and you could smell all the waffling things from the street food. And it just makes me um, salivate and think about lunch. <laughs> I'm the same. When I'm eating a meal, I'm thinking about the meal after that. <laughs> and I, I'd love to know how you, uh, you know, do you love French food? Because it's so different, I guess, from perhaps Asian, yes you know what you've been cooking your whole life and where you're from and um i wonder how you yeah it's just it's just so such a completely different cuisine I, it's completely different but you know what i love about uh, french food especially when it's simple in other words um i'm one of these people that are not crazy i have all these chef friends and uh, they want me to come to dinner and I just can't sit for five hours eating little bits of this and this and this. I, I just want, um, especially at my age, I've been, you know, I'm 73 and I've been cooking since I was 11. And I just want really good, simple food. I don't want things that are too elaborate uh, um, and even though I would have friends for dinner that might last for two or three hours, but we're drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> That's different. 
<laughs> but I, I just can't eat that much sort of food. And, um, and I, I think more and more, it, it's interesting that this whole period after the pandemic, I think people realize that food needs to be simple, well done. Uh, let's get rid of the shishi, uh, in other words, and let's cook also seasonally. And this is something that I'm really into now. Uh, oh, Hannah, one of the things I'm really um, passionate about is combating food waste. There's too much food in the world being wasted. Um, it, it's really shocking. For instance, here in France, they make all the supermarkets not throw away their food. What they do wow. is uh, they make them give it to charities. Um, and one that I've cooked for um, that is for homeless people. All these top chefs have done it. And in Paris, it's under the Madeleine Church. I don't know what I'm going to cook when I arrive in the morning. I just see what's coming from the supermarkets. And I remember one of the dinners I prepared, I arrived in the morning and there was all this fillets, beef fillets that are it's quite expensive, but it's near the, the sell-by date. So they had to get rid of it. I said, oh God, that, this is like a gift from heaven. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of ridiculous. Um, and I love being able to use everything. For instance, there were green apples that were really sort of sour. And one of the things is that people don't know what to do with it. They bite into it and say, oh, God, this is so sour. Well, I said to all my the people who were volunteers, I said, let's just peel these apples. Um, I said, I'll cook the peels in, in uh, a little bit of sauce. We'll put sugar over the apples, fan them out. We'll put sugar, butter over them, and we'll bake the apples. And guess what? They were really good. Mm, I bet. And I guess it, it comes from all these years of cooking and uh, challenges because sometimes if something is not there, use something else. And what I love about uh, here in France is that people tend to cook seasonally. I remember um, I spent about a couple of years full time here in this village and you only ate asparagus when it came into season. And my God, then after two months of it, you're sick of it. So it's good. Yeah. It goes away. And then when it comes back again, you anticipate it. And that is what is really good about eating seasonally. And also it's economical. Uh, when you eat seasonally, it's very cheap, the food, because it's in abundance. And, Absolutely. and that's how we should be eating. And this is not only for um, you know, your ordinary people, but for chefs. If you're running a restaurant, you should not be serving strawberries if you're in the UK 
uh, in December. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm. No, no, no. And I completely agree with you. I'm a huge advocate for food waste. And um, quite frankly, I sort of, I don't speak, I don't try to speak harshly about it, but for me, there's just no excuse anymore. Yes. Um, whether it be in the home, chucking things out, mm -hmm. that actually, if you chuck off, you know, I always use, I think people are bored of me banging on about this, but you know, I always use the courgette example, that if the courgette is a bit moldy at one end, chop just, off the moldy bit exactly, and, and eat the rest exactly. of it. You know, there's just no excuse. And I think, you know, especially you just mentioned about being economical, you know, life is expensive. It's really expensive at the moment. Exactly. And why would you put even more pressure on yourself to be buying things that are so out of season exactly. when you've got such an abundance of beautiful, fresh vegetables mm -hmm. and fruit that are cheap and are in season exactly. and probably taste better, <laughs> and, you know? So what, I, I, I'm really into that. And what you should do when it's seasonal, you buy all these things and uh, you, you make soup. And this is where yeah. technology uh, is good. For instance, um, your freezer is your best friend. You make a lot of soup and it's wonderful. And you portion it out and you freeze it. And and how convenient is that? Then when you, yeah. you want something, you just uh, uh, thaw it out and heat it up yeah, and it's no, healthy it's and like, it's healthy it's, you're making it's an easy life for yourself <laughs> <laughs> exactly no stress um exactly before we get on to your childhood which i'm super excited to kind of get into with you i did also uh, when i was doing my research found out something fabulous about you which is definitely going to cement our friendship and i hope that this still stands is that you are a manchester united supporter yes <laughs> good me too <laughs> So for and me, I'm... when I saw that, I was like, yep, Ken is definitely coming on this podcast. That, forget about the food. Let's talk about the football. So you have great taste. That's all I, That's all we need to worry about. <laughs> so I want to take it back to your childhood. Right. You were born and raised in Tucson in Arizona. No, I was born in Tucson, Arizona. But um, my father passed away when I was eight months old and my mother took me uh, to San Diego where she had a childhood ah. friend. And my mom came from China and she never spoke English. Uh, so actually I didn't speak English until I was six. Then she wow. uh, she survived on my father's uh, uh, insurance money for a number of years. And then we, she had to go to work. So um, she had family in Chicago so we went to Chicago and I grew up in Chicago, uh, Chinatown actually. And uh, of course I had to learn English because uh, I had to go to school. <laughs> yeah. And it was tough. So I, I can imagine. But you learn fast. And, yeah. So I guess, you know, obviously I'm incredibly sorry that you lost your father at such a yeah. young age. Um, but I want to kind of sort of bring it back to the food. So I want to know what you were eating. I want to know what your mum was cooking and what the importance of food was in your life yes. sort of during your formative years. Well, because we were quite poor and 
my mother had a job working in a factory. So you can imagine um, our, the budget was very low. And it was, it's ironic, uh, Hannah, because things like fish, at that time, we're talking about the 50s, um, was very inexpensive. And so my mother did a lot of steam fish, which was nice. Um, I stuffed myself with rice. <laughs> she never threw away anything, but she, uh, she was a good cook. And she made simple things, but they were really good. For instance, I remember one of her things that she used to make, which I still make today, which is tin corn, which she would just put in a wok and she would throw in a couple of eggs and scrambled it uh, with the tin corn. It was delicious and it fed me. Um, we ate very little meat. For instance, I, I actually didn't have ever had beef until I was 11 working in my uncle's restaurant because couldn't afford it. It was too expensive. Um, we ate, of course, cheap cuts of pork and and uh, of course we had some chicken but mostly a lot of vegetables and done in a chinese way stir fried in a wok very quick and because my mom was working when she came home um, it was about usually six o'clock and um, we had to eat because i had school the next day so one of the fastest things she would do is stir fry um, it's perfect. She would stop on the way and get what was seasonal, what was inexpensive. And she was a, a good cook. I mean, very good cook. And we had simple home food, nothing fancy. Um, she would put a splash of soy sauce. Uh, it, there was never any rice left over. If there was, she would make fried rice with it. But it, it was very rare. But when we were invited to Chinese banquets, um, they would say they would over serve, always serve too much. And she said, I'm happy to take it home. <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed of. Leftovers Absolutely are good. Absolutely not. Oh my gosh, I'd do the same thing. <laughs> I'd be showing up with my Tupperware being like, there's any leftovers. <laughs> but I remember going to school. You can imagine in Chicago how cold it is. Um, and my mom used to send me to school, not with a sandwich, but with uh, little bits of Chinese sausage and preserved vegetables in a thermos with hot rice. And, oh, wow. And when I opened it, the odors used to waffle. And, and everybody else would be eating cold bologna sandwiches. <laughs> and that's what I want to ask because, um, so I'm half Iranian and mm. sometimes my mother Great would, food. you know, it yes. takes like three days to make a stew, but yes. some days she would sort of put something in my lunchbox and, you know, the other kids at school, I mean, they didn't, I, I was, it wasn't that I was bullied, but it was just, it was smells and flavors that they weren't used to. And I guess what I want to ask is, you know, first of all, what was your opinion at the time on American food compared to all this very, although simple, but still very delicious sort of Chinese food that your mum was cooking? And what were your friends' responses to those thermos flasks of <laughs> sort of delicious aromas? <laughs> well, you know, I, 
I thought um, everything was right that my mom said. Um, uh, we cook better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, when I went <laughs> to see what they were eating in the cafeteria, the food tend to be quite bland, didn't have any oomph to it mm. uh, compared to my mom's food. Um, there was no savoriness uh, because one of the hallmarks of good Chinese cooking is what we call the um, aroma of the wok. Uh, it's called wok hei. It's almost uh, translated as the breath of the wok. Mm. And it's a combination of grilled, uh, slightly smoky, flavor that comes from a hot wok. And that was something that was missing when I had uh, tried American food. I thought it was uh, quite dreary. Didn't, it, uh, it didn't actually turn me on. And then when I saw things like turkey, I thought, oh my God, this is a monster. <laughs> and of course, it was overcooked. It was dry. Yeah. It was um, had no flavor whatsoever mm. and i couldn't believe people were eating that uh, so, you know, they're making th themselves suffer because even though we were poor uh eating for us was a great pleasure in other words uh, and by the way talking about iranian i have a good uh, iranian friend uh, sabrina gaylor gaylor oh. Ooh, yes, I know her great, very well. She's, she's a really good, close, close friend. And oh, her, her I'll, mom I'll let her is, know that I'm, I was I, recording with you. She, I was just with her two weeks ago at a food festival in London. I was hosting her at Taste of London. She's lovely. Oh, she's an old friend from the 90s. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, so we're really wonderful. And, and sometimes she would come and spend... Um, the Christmas holidays with me and her, she'd bring her mom uh, in Bangkok. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah, and one time- oh, that, What a small a... world. Well, it's oh, not yes. that small actually. It's a small world. And tell but, me, so, and then what did your friends think when well, you sort of open up your pack lunch? I, I, <laughs> they were curious. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, uh, being Chinese, I was a trader. I said, okay, let me uh, taste some of yours if you taste some of mine. And, when I taste theirs, I said, mine's is better. And they, they go, yes. <laughs> and I said, that's all you can have. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but uh, it was an interesting experience. Um, I, I think uh, when I discover Italian food, that was a change for me. Um, growing up, things like pizza. I, I did like pizza, and I thought Italians not a cook pasta um, and things like that. And of course, uh, I was in Chinatown, and I didn't really leave until I was in my late teens. And I, funny enough, I discovered French food um, by watching telly and also uh, with this American cook called Julia Child. I think mm -hmm. people know of her from the movie, Julia and Julia. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I went to university in Berkeley, California, and I was cooking for friends. I, of course, I cooked Chinese, but I was discovering French cooking. And so uh, in my early 20s, I, I went to France and to Europe, and that opened my eyes. But the first place I landed was in um, uh, the UK, in London. And I remember going to Chinese restaurants, and they were serving fish and chips and chips with wow. curry sauce. I said, this is not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that uh, Chinese know how to make a living. And they so okay, if you want Chinese food, you can have it. But uh, we're serving other things. So yeah. that will pay our bills. <laughs> and so, so would you say that when you were sort of more university age that was when you sort of really found the love of cooking because i know that you mentioned that you were working in your uncle's restaurant at a very young age at the age of 11. so where does the love of the food stem from you know for in terms of not just enjoying food and eating but actually wanting to make it into a career well that's a um a long uh, journey which i'll make it short uh, I thought working in my uncle's restaurant, I thought I would never want to have a restaurant or work in a restaurant. You must be a masochist or completely <laughs> insane to want to work uh, it, uh, or to have your restaurant. Um, my uncle was very good. He was an entrepreneur. He actually had the best restaurant in Chinatown. And he really knew how to make money. But he really worked hard uh after i i worked for him until i was about 15 and i said no no i don't want to do this <laughs> this is too hard uh, 12 hour days is not my cup of tea i went to work for a supermarket for a while and didn't like it um and then i found a job uh, in an office i like that because that was easy now my love of food comes from my Chinese background. Um, we always ate well, even though we didn't have money. And then when I was making money, we would go to restaurants and I always loved Chinese food. But it was wonderful to discover other cuisines. I think, I think what people don't really understand that um, uh, food is also uh, cultural. Just like you say, my, my friend Sabrina, Sabrina turned me on to, uh, I have read about Iranian food, but when you actually eat it, you go, wow, this thing, I, you learn something. Yeah. And this is what I discovered about uh, traveling. When you travel, you eat people's food and it opens a door to their lives and culture and how they eat and uh, their history. And it made me, uh, how do you say, uh, eager to discover um, different types of food. So to make a long story short, um, uh, after I went to study, in, in, I lived in France uh, for a year. And when I came back to university, I was desperately poor. <laughs> I mean, really poor. Uh, you know, I exhausted my grant and everything like that. 
So I had to pay my bills. And a, a woman, um, a wife of a congressman, which is like an MP, they had lots of money. And through a, a friend who was teaching at the school, uh, a school for a boarding school, uh, asked me, she said, um, can you come to my place to do a weekend of cookery classes on Italian cooking? I said, oh, we're talking wow. about, we're talking about 1974. Okay. And um, I had been in Italy, I learned something about Italian cooking. And I immediately brushed up on a lot of, I bought a book on Italian cooking. And I did a whole weekend of uh, on Italian cooking. Um, based on my experiences and things like that. It was really successful. I was paid a grand sum of $300, which paid my rent for two months. Wow. And she said, uh, can you do a second class of Italian cooking? I said, oh, yes, of course, with pleasure. And then the third time she said, do you know anything about Chinese? I said, oh my God, I can do that. <laughs> Eyes closed behind my back. Well, one thing led to another. Um, I decided, okay, I like teaching. Um, I bought a house very cheaply. And I said, uh, I remodeled the kitchen, borrow some money, remodel the kitchen and do Chinese cookery classes. That led to me being asked to, to teach at the California Culinary Academy, which is a school for professional chefs. So I was cooking, I mean, I was on the faculty with people like Wolfgang Puck, who's quite well known, uh, Jeremiah Tower, really top chefs as well. And I, I really discovered my love of teaching, which is actually more than anything. I was a teacher that led to my first book, which was, uh, and um, I was I had a eight page color spread in um, Bon Appetit magazine, which was the biggest food magazine at that time in America, it had millions of readers. And that led to um, two full pages in the New York Times. And we're talking about in the 70s where print media was very important. And then yeah. <laughs> my publisher, a New York publisher, up my print run from like 2000 to 28,000 and sent me on a national uh, book tour. Now, how did I wind up at the BBC? Well, in the early eighties, I went to cook at the food editor of the New York times at a big bash. It was very influential. And I met a woman named Meta Jeffrey. And oh, she wow. had just did a, a, a series on, on Indian cookery that was very successful. And she told me about it. I said, I'm happy for you. I knew about her and I was pleased to meet her. And this was in 1982, 82. Wow. And um, this was in June. I had done a big bash and I, I was on national TV in America and this thing called 60 minutes, everything. And I went to, to France after that. When I came back from France in August, I found about 
eight telegrams. You have to remember, this is 1982. <laughs> Phone calls were very expensive. And I had eight telegrams from Madame Jeffrey who said, please call me. Uh, English television would like to talk to you. And I thought, when am I English television? I mean, I, my career is just taking off in America. So I called her and she said, can just hear them out. You know, um, okay, I said, fine. So um, the, the producer was coming to film in, in California for a documentary. She said, can we come and interview you? Fine. They came, recorded a see how my English was, etc. I didn't hear from them, so I thought, you know, I'm not English. My English was probably not good enough. Um, they called me and said, can you fly uh, in January of, of 83? Can you fly to uh, London? I said, wait a minute. I have to, <laughs> I have a living. Uh, I can't do it until February because I have all this commitment that pays my mortgage mm. and everything. So that's very important. But they said, okay, come in February. So I went for three days. And uh, at, at that time, Hannah, I also um, had an extension of my cookery school, my own cookery school in Hong Kong. So um, for at that time, for three years then. Well, they said, I, I did the audition and the executive producer said, yes, we want you to do the series. We've been interviewing, searching for people for the last two years. And we've interviewed over 50 uh, wow. cooks and writers. So, sorry to interrupt. Yes. So they were, they were looking for a Chinese chef. That's what they no, no, were looking no. for. Looking for a Chinese cookery presenter. Right. Okay. And, and uh, by the way, my audition tape is on YouTube. <laughs> <gasps> oh, I'm going to find it. it. I'm going to find it. <laughs> I had hair. I had hair. I had lots of no. hair. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and what was very interesting was uh, what somebody said. Um, because I'm I'm not a television person. Um, uh, Madge Jeffrey was an actress. So for her, it was a very natural thing to mm. be on the telly. But for me, I, I, it was awkward. Uh, I'm good in front of people, but to have a camera in front of me without the actual person, people behind it was strange. So in my audition tape, you see, when I was talking directly to camera, I, I was quite awkward. But when I started cooking, somebody said, wow, you really came up. Then you could see mm. you, how you were instructing and, and based on that audition, um, BBC um, signed me up. Now, of course, as you know, the BBC does not pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yeah. well, I'm just going to do this for um, a pleasure because I will get to work with BBC and I can learn a few things. And then never thinking uh, we would film in Hong Kong in the, uh, in October of 83 after my cookery classes. They would come and film. 
Um, and then in 84, uh, I would spend two months filming the series in studio. So it took up a lot of time. And of course, I had a book that went with the series, etc. Well, never dreamt that the series would be so successful. The book had a printing of 350,000 copies. Wow. Uh, it uh, was at 7, yeah, 7 o'clock or, or 7.30 on BBC Two. It had an audience at that time, of, which was huge, of 3 million at that time slot. And uh, just, it just made me a household name. <laughs> the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually an amazing story because I guess, yeah. you know, you'd started these cookery classes in, um, in the US, in America, yes. and obviously then you um, did one in Hong, uh, some in Hong Kong. Yes. I mean, what did you like? What was your life plans? Like, were you? Did you just think, oh, I'm just going to do these cookery classes, and well, we'll see where it might lead to? Yeah. Well, you know, Hannah, you just sort of flow with the flow. Yeah. Simply because uh, I had a mortgage to pay, mm. and uh, I had my. Uh, not only did uh, I had a, a university grant, but I also had borrowed. I had student loans, which I had mm. to pay off. So it was about, <laughs> you know, paying my bills and <laughs> getting Absolutely. through. And but I, I also think as things, well, yeah. I think as well that there's an interest, this is, this was an interesting time in the culinary TV world, which I kind of mentioned earlier. And this is kind of what I wanted to ask you about was that I think that it was the real start of those cookery programs in the sense mm -hmm. that we were all watching them, all the households, right. you know, sort of for me anyway, you know, I was born in 87. So oh <laughs> in the 90s was when I was right. watching, uh, to the late 90s, I was sort of watching Delia Smith. I was then watching Nigella. I was watching you. But I don't feel like you get those kinds of cookery shows anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get like a Delia or a primetime slot. Right. Um, sort of doing that, you know, you get more sort of like a magazine type show, a bit like your Saturday kitchens and yes. your Sunday brunches and things. And so I guess I feel well, like you changed. were kind of at like the heyday, the heyday <laughs> of like the food and the cookery show. And I yes. wondered what your thoughts were in terms of, you know, do you prefer how it used to be? Do you prefer how it is now? Um, well, you know, you know things have just changed so much. It's interesting, Hannah, because um, um, I was so traumatized by doing the first series <laughs> that I did not do a second one for 10 years. And uh, yeah. uh, simply because in my first series, I had to learn lines and oh, it was just excruciating. Uh, and in the next series that I did, which was just as successful, um, you were probably seven years old or eight in 95 <laughs> called uh, Hot Walk. And that went off uh, like lightning. Um, you know, I had people uh, that were guests like John Cleese and um, Jude Whitfield, people that I like. 
uh, that I, I would cook for and, and that sort of thing. And I was more like, uh, if you will, like Keith Floyd going out yeah. <laughs> and cooking with my walk. Yeah. And that was fun. And then um, it was so successful. BBC really wanted to do another series. And I, then I did Travels with a Hot Walk, where I went to places like Thailand and Sydney, uh, Los Angeles. And that was nice. But, you, you know, it's funny. I'm, I, I love television, but it devours a lot of your time. Because actually, I like what I did that a lot of people don't realize I had a second professional career, which meant, for instance, I, I did all the food for Cathay Pacific, the Hong Kong airline for three years in the early 90s. Um, I, as you said, I've, I've cooked for restaurants and hotels all over the world. I've done major events. Uh, um, so I do a lot of interesting things. Mm. And what, what I love about what I do with cooking it's just not one thing. In other words, I'm not just a cookery book writer I've written for. I used to have a column in the FT Weekend, um, which I love to write about. I did restaurant reviews as well. Um, so my food-based career has been quite rich. Um, but I but love that. I do yes, love that. I do too. Although, although I've had fun. perhaps, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that although perhaps the TV at the very uh, the start may have traumatized you, um, mm -hmm. at least it was kind of that vehicle to sort of get you as well into perhaps rooms or places that you may not have got into had you have just stuck with and gone with the flows, as you said, you know, with the with the cookery school. And, right. and it has given you that incredibly fruitful career mm. that is just so cool. Like the, yeah. the list of people that I was looking at that you've cooked for, <laughs> it's kind of like the who's who of like life, basically. Um, just sort of bringing it really into the essence of Chinese food. Um, yes. I want you to talk to me about Chinese food because it's a cuisine. There are obviously, you know, there's, it's regional, there's different types of Chinese food. And can you kind of dissect it for us, um, you know, and, and talk to me about the Chinese food that we eat over here in the West. You know, yeah. there are some amazing Chinese restaurants around the world. Some of my favorite restaurants are Chinese, but you know, what are we actually eating? Let's just use the UK because obviously we're, I'm in the UK. You know, it's, explain it's, it's, it all it's, to me. It, uh, it's fascinating what you just asked, Hannah, because I um, last week I had a very long interview, like with something like a Chinese uh, that wanted to see my take about Chinese food in the UK, in the West, <laughs> for example. And you know, Chinese food has changed uh, everywhere, just as British food has changed. I mean, when you think about um, what food in Britain was like in the 70s and what it is like now, it's a huge Two different change. cuisines. <laughs> and it's because of what? Of globalization, travel, of people being aware of other people's culture. And 
Now, when you come to the UK, you can literally eat around the world. And British chefs have benefited from that. And so their cooking reflects that. And it's the same thing for Chinese. You know, in China, you have four sort of major regions, the north, the the west, which is Sichuan cooking, the north, more stodgy because of cold, um, more the, uh, things like Peking duck. You have the eastern side where it's, it's all by the coast, so it's mainly seafood. And then you have the south, which is where I'm from, Cantonese. And the people who, uh, Chinese people who first came to the UK because of Hong Kong was Cantonese like me. So the food you got in the UK was a, a reflection of that. Uh, the restaurants were uh, very Cantonese, mm. but they also served fish and chips <laughs> to survive. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're clever. Uh, you know, they know what pays the bills, but they graduated. In other words, if somebody came in, um, do you have fish and chips? They said, oh, we'd like to try some of this uh, Chinese food. They tried it and they loved And Chinese food is on the top of one of the Brits' favorite foods. I mean, it's almost as um, as like fish and chips almost on yeah. the top. Now, it's interesting. Since China has opened up, a lot of different people um, have come to the UK. And so with them, they brought their cuisine. For instance, I was in Chinatown uh, in, in London in May, which is the first time I've been there in two and a half years. It was amazing how the Chinese restaurants have changed okay? because there's a whole generation of uh, young people that don't want to follow their parents doing mm -hmm. their restaurants in Cantonese. Uh, in Chinatown, Cantonese cuisine. So what did they do? They go, um, other people have taken over that are Chinese from Beijing, Shanghai, etc. And that has enriched the Chinese cuisine. But then you have someone who's young and British-born, London-born, Andrew Wong, who has taken... <laughs> Chinese food and has redefined it in a London way. He's got two Michelin star. Yeah. He deserves it. He's fantastic. He's really good. He uh, he also traveled throughout China to learn different regions because he's Cantonese like me. And he's bought this kind of London special way of doing Chinese food, which is great. And this is how Chinese food has changed and evolved. And when um, I went to film my last series with Ching, Ching, Ching He Wong in uh, China. Ching was one of my first ever guests uh, on the podcast. I love she, Ching. She's absolutely wonderful. Wonderful woman. Uh, yes, I'm adopting her as my... <laughs> her father's very jealous. <laughs> she's so... I really have... I love she, her a lot. I have a yeah. lot of time for her. I'm her stepdad. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we travel through uh, China and you could see how uh, 
things have changed in China. I, I first went to China in 1983. And then I did a, um, I researched a, a book called The Taste of China in 88 and 89, spending two years. And how food has changed since then. It, like in the UK, it, even more than the UK because China was, because of its history and what happened politically, socially, etc. It's, it's amazing. And Chinese food now has soared in China. They, they've got their mojo back, as people would yeah. say. And I think it's evolved. Yeah, I think, and I hope this doesn't come across as like quite an ignorant question, but, you know, I'm just trying to think of sort of the average restaurant goer in the UK. Like, I don't know anyone that doesn't love Chinese food. For me, it's like that real comfort food. Like you go with a group of people, you order everything on the menu. But the food, you know, let's say we, I've gone to Chinatown with some friends. Um I, I guess I have two questions. First of all, the food that we are getting in London, is that a very westernized version of the food that would be served in China? I mean, are you still getting in China things like sweet and sour pork or, I don't know, prawn toast? I'm just trying to think of those very sort of popular, sort of quite generic items on the menu. Um and then also just particularly two, um, two regions you spoke about, the difference between Cantonese and Sichuan, because those are the two that I think are quite popular mm-hmm. or I see a lot of in London. And I, to be honest, sometimes I get a bit confused as to which one it is that I really love more than the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I think Chinese food has really evolved toward more in the UK, more toward authenticity. In other words, okay. um, what you get now is less anglicized and westernized. Mm. Because you know why? People's palate uh, and sophistication has, has improved. And not only that, people like yourself and um, your generation, you, you've traveled. You've gone to Hong Kong. So you know what? food should taste like. Um, you've gone to China. Uh, there, I know there are many British people that went to Sichuan. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and um, there are many uh, food writers like Fuchsia Dunlap. It's done a great eye-opening about different regional foods in China. So. I, you know, when I eat food now, Chinese food, there's a, a level of sophistication that, uh, because times have changed. Times have really, really changed. And you get really people more discerning. And of course, on a different, maybe uh, even on a cheap in a more inexpensive level, still the food is more authentic than say 40, 50 years ago. Mm. And uh, it's because the world has changed and uh, uh, for the better, for the better. I, I think food everywhere 
has gotten better. Awareness. And then sort of for your general sort of, you know, if we're going to go down to Chinatown, just it, just decipher between sort of Cantonese, like what, what are the items, I guess, on a menu that are more Cantonese and what are sort of more sort of Sichuan? Yeah, for instance, if you get steamed fish, that's Cantonese. <laughs> Okay. Uh, if, if you get um, a roast duck, that's Cantonese. But if you get Peking duck, that's from Beijing, from the north. Mm. Uh, if you get mapa tofu, which means um, a spicy tofu dish that is just saturated with chilies, uh, that's from Sichuan. And okay. it's something I discovered um, uh, actually years ago working with a supermarket group that people in taste in the UK has really gone toward the spicy side. It, it's spicy and fried. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can sell it. You can sell it. Yeah. Anything spicy. And you know, the British palate uh, love that spiciness. It's amazing. It, and uh, also is perhaps as part of your history you know with the spices and the empire etc i mean ken i'm telling you right now my tolerance to chili is so high i (laughs) i have every possible chili sauce in my cupboard for every cuisine that you could think of but still to this day my favorite chili sauce of all time is the one that I get in a Chinese restaurant yes. and it's the chili oil with yes. the bits of crispy yes. chili and yes. little bits of like dried prawns maybe oh my I could pour that entire I mean when they come they come with a tiny little little like plat like little plate and I'm like can I have Will you just bring the whole like big Tupperware over for me because I'm putting this over everything and they well, look at me and they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, Hannah, you know what I do when I'm traveling? I have what I call my spice kit and I have a little thing. Oh, <laughs> so I'm you on carry the plane. it with you. Yes, I'm on the plane. That's such a good idea. I might do it that. Is. Oh, I tell you, it can make ordinary uh, totally food, actually <laughs> totally absolutely and before we sort of leave Chinese food obviously yes. we need to talk about the holy grail of Chinese yes. food which is the wok yes <laughs> which is if there was one thing that you probably would not leave the world without onto your desert island can it would probably be your wok I'm putting words into your mouth but I'm just assuming sort of talk about the wok because it's not just yes a, like a a vehicle to cook food in. it's sort of it's the it whole embodies. essence it embodies, it embodies. Yeah. what i talked about before that flavor of chinese food that comes from a hot wok that breath of grilled smoked flavor that is totally unique and it's interesting um uh kind of because uh you know, this year is the uh, centenary of the BBC. And they have 100 items that mark the BBC. And one of them is Ken Holmes' walk. <laughs> no way! Yes. That's so cool. And um, it's because when people, number one, it's quick, easy. And when people cook in it, they 
they say, wow, it's also healthy. And they taste vegetables. He said, my vegetables never mm-hmm. tasted like that. And mm-hmm. it's because of the heat of the water. And of course, it was originally invented uh, in China as a way of saving fuel. You cook quickly and fast so you don't waste any fuel. So you wouldn't stew something because it would require too much uh, heat and fuel because China was very fuel short. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was invented from necessity. And, and tell me, is this an old wives' tale, or is this true that with a wok you should never clean it completely? No, it you depends. wipe it down. Yes, I mean you shouldn't. Uh, it depends on what type of wok you have. If it's cast okay. iron or steel, um, but now there are woks that are very well coated with nonstick surface. And you, anyway, you shouldn't wash your pots. With soap, we should just, you know, wash it with hot water. Yeah. And it, um, you know, if you're worried about germs, you know what I say: anything that survives the heat deserves to live anyway. So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that, and and I completely agree with you. Sometimes, I mean, the other day I had a frying pan. I think I was like frying an egg or making uh, scrambled yeah. eggs or something, and I realized there was residue still left from whatever I'd cooked in it. the the time before and I was a bit irritated with myself because I'm a little bit of a clean freak but actually the aromas that came out of that pan as I'd heated it up with the oil and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh I think it could have been like a bit of harissa or something with chili in it and actually the egg tasted so amazing because there was like a residue (laughs) of the oil from whatever the past meal was and I was like I might do this more often (laughs) see this is good Hannah because what happens is you're a natural cook because that's how you learn about things. I mean, I've been cooking for over uh, 60 something years. And I could tell you every day, even though I make something, oh, I discover something. Mm, That's as as you did. You see? Mm, Absolutely. So there we go. I'm not not, not cleaning any of my pots and pans anymore (laughs) with old old fairy liquid. That's done. Now, this is also a very important year because yeah. you have recently been awarded um, a CBE um, on the Queen's Honours. So first of all, congratulations. What an achievement. You. Um, have you received it yet? No, not yet. Uh, um, I've been awarded. The Queen has signed off on it and um, I, I can talk about it. Uh, but they're arranging a time because they, they have to make it first. <laughs> of course. And the thing is, I, I had to accept it. You know, there's a whole procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went through that when I got my OBE. So I'm really, I'm, I mean, so humbled and honored. And um, the thing is, um, I, I think it's uh, about getting it. If it helps me in my work, for instance, in my charity work to raise more money for all the charities that I work for. Great. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and um, uh, I'm honored and humbled by Her Majesty's uh, gesture. 
Well, I think it's rightly deserved. So massive congratulations on that. Thank you. I did. You so I much. had sort of thrown out there that you have cooked for so many people and so many well-known, <laughs> wonderful people. Could you tell us off the top of your head, who are some of the best people that you've cooked for? Well, some of the fun people uh, as Tina Turner here. Oh, in my house here yes. In yes. She was at great. your house in France. Yes, that's right. She came and uh, uh, we had such a ball. And it's because I, I, when I first met her, I said, I know you, but you don't know me. Because I saw you at the Cheetah in Chicago. I used to go out with my mates <laughs> to clubbing in 1966 or 65. Wow. She was very impressed. She looks fantastic. Oh, um, my gosh. And uh, we just hit it off there. And my friend who's party was he said you know ken's like a chef and everything i'll arrange it for him to cook for you so we spent a whole weekend oh how <laughs> she, fabulous she what did you make her oh it made her peking duck I did oh. everything and it was great that she she has that wonderful voice darling this is delicious I love it. I love it. I love it. Is there anyone that you still haven't cooked for that you'd love to cook for? I, oh, God. There's so many people I love to uh, to cook for. Um, you know, I, uh, Hannah, I'm terrible. I don't cook for people I don't like. I like that. No. And do you know why? Do you know why I respect that? Because I always bang on about this. For me, food is love. If I'm spending that time in a kitchen cooking for you, it's because I love you and I care for you. I'm inviting you in my home. So why on earth would I cook for someone that doesn't deserve it? So I stand. You know who I would love to cook for? Uh, All the um, heroes and heroines of the pandemic. And who yes. I mean is the nurses and the nurse. Um, they, they really move me. And yeah. these are people I want to uh, yeah. uh, cook for. I, I get as great pleasure cooking for the homeless as I do for. You know, it's funny. When you cook for somebody, no matter who they are, they have a mouth, they have a stomach, <laughs> you know. <laughs> They're like everybody else. Yeah. No, you're absolutely uh, right. You're absolutely right. What are your specialities at home when you're just cooking for the simplicity, family? Simplicity. Simplicity. Uh, I love making something like a roast chicken or... I love cooking leftovers. Okay. I take things that are bits and pieces in the fridge. Um, I love that challenge. What do mm. you do with this... Don't throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have all these bits and pieces in my uh, freezer. And then I make my bolognese. I throw everything in and it tastes so good. I, oh, I bet I don't it even does. remember what went in there. <laughs> I love that. And if you can, tell me where some of your favorite restaurants are. And I think for this question, why yeah. don't you tell us where some of your favorite Chinese restaurants are? Yes. Um, so that I can go to them. No. Well, definitely. <laughs> or we'll find uh, out if maybe I've already been there. Let's see. Yeah. Top of my list is A Wong. Uh, I just love Andrew's food. It's really not only delicious, but it's Chinese food that is outside of the box. 
which yeah. is why I love it. I love Imperial Treasure in, in London, just in Mayfair, which is a really fantastic. Uh, there's so many good restaurants. The, the, the Good Earth is, is, is really fantastic. Oh, do you know what? My dad's going to love that you've said that because it's his yeah. favorite place. Oh, <laughs> you know why? They've always maintained a quality of cooking yeah, that's and so funny. service um, that hasn't changed. It's one of the first mm. restaurants I went to um, more than 50 years ago uh, in London, a Chinese restaurants, and it was very impressive and still is. Um, I, I think for that, uh, people are, are very lucky in the UK. In Manchester. Yangtzeng, wow, really fantastic! Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been there with uh, Alex Ferguson, who is a great Chinese food. You fan. did not, <laughs> yes. I wish I knew you back then. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, have you cooked for David Beckham? Uh, you, you won't believe this. Um, when I was first asked to cook for the menu team. Um, I think David Beckham was 14 or 15. So, he said, and I remember he said, hello, Mr. Hong. <laughs> <laughs> it was Eric Cantona oh who was God. the big star. Then. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do you yeah. know, you know, do you know what's funny? <laughs> it was actually Eric Cantona that got me into Manchester United, much to most of my friends disbelief because I'm a big David Beckham fan. Um, it was yeah. actually Eric Cantona that um, turned me to Manchester United. So <laughs> there we go. Right. I finished my conversations Thank with a you. few quick fire questions. Yes. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh my God. Uh, probably swan. Wow. Uh, I had swan. You're going to have to Hong explain Kong. that one. Yes. Wow. A food critic invited me out, one of the biggest Hong Kong food critics, when I was doing my cookery class, and uh, to this restaurant, and he said, well, can I have something special? I said, this is really interesting. I'm not quite sure what it is. And he said, it's swan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't even was... know what to... And, and what did it taste like? It, it tasted like actually red meat. More than okay. a far, I mean, the uh, poultry, and uh, th that's why I was really intrigued. Okay, was never delicious. had that answer. There we go. <laughs> okay, next question: Thanks. What is the most memorable meal you've had? That is so hard. You know, I think the most memorable meal that I, I would say I had is uh, when I threw a banquet for my mom's 80th birthday. Oh. And she invited 250 of her best friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, I love how you said know, best friends. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know how um, you remember food by um, the occasion. Mm. I mean, obviously it has to be good food. It was in yeah, a Chinese yeah. restaurant, of course. But um, I mark things also by who you're with absolutely, and the people you spend time with. I love that. 
Okay. My favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Mine's what too, is your f- but very spicy. It has to be very spicy. Ooh, so this is the your favorite flavor. Is... So what are we talking? Like what sort of well, crisp are we talking? We're talking about like uh, taro crisp are really good. Uh, I would love it to be much more spicy with ice and chili. Okay. I'd add chili into it. <laughs> you could dip like your, you. Ch- your, your crisps into that lovely I chili know, oil. I, know, I might. I've I done know, that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, we're definitely yeah. on the same page there. What food sums up happiness for you? You know, any good food, Hannah. I think there's no specific food. I, I just love eating things that are good well cooked yeah. as you said food is love and absolutely and, and when people invite you over i love other people's cooking <laughs> that that uh, when people just go all out and cook for you simple things but yeah from their heart mm-hmm. it's great i mean i i have a friend who is inviting me on uh saturday uh, he has his girlfriend now from Spain, and he's doing mussels and chips. I said, oh, "Wow, nice! What could be better?" Oh, perfect. And have lots of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. Final question: Live to eat or eat to live? I live to eat. <laughs> That's why we're friends, Ken. This has been such an honor for me. Um, It's been fascinating listening to your story. Um, And I can't believe uh, if I told my eight-year-old self that I would be sitting down (laughs) with Mr. Ken Hom, uh, I'd tell her that she was a liar. So this is a dream come true. Thank you so much. I hope that one day that we can meet in person. And exactly. I'd love to share food with you because I want you to do the ordering at the restaurant because <laughs> then I know exactly what I need to order. <laughs> um, That'll cost you. That'll cost and, you. And of course, it's going to bloody cost me. That's some fine. Chili, some chili, some <laughs> yeah, chili. Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Until thank next you. time. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.